I can imagine you probably feel like a totally different way when you walk in this room. Yeah. Right? It's, it's true. It's so different. You know, it's like it's time to go. Welcome to the Cognitive Rampage Podcast Tribe. I'm your host as usual. How Steve never likes me likes to say it as usual. But Adam Lowry. My guest on the podcast today is a friend of mine. He's a motivated speaker, author, blogger. Uh, he's the CEO of a company called Juicy Results. Uh, he has crafted all kinds of marketing strategies for countless organizations and professionals, um, all kinds of small business, even to the Fortune 100 companies. But he speaks all the time about how to grow customer base, uh, and especially on SEO, and that's search engine optimization. Um, but on this show, we don't really get too technical, if you will, talking about all the ins and outs of marketing and SEO, et cetera. We, we cover some serious philosophies about it, yeah, but we really kind of got into the mind of Jeremy and the life of Jeremy, what he's been through, uh, some things he's experienced. And, uh, you know, he's been an entrepreneur since he was 17. And uh, being 36 now and the CEO of a uh, well, I'm going to call it a very successful company. Uh, he's a little more humble than me and always driving forward, as you'll hear on the podcast. But uh, he shares some really interesting stories about business, about life, uh, and how obstacles have really been the gems in his life. But I love his philosophies. I love chatting with him. Um, he had a friend with him, um, a very intelligent and smart woman named Becca. And my wife actually joins us later in the podcast. And as always, Steve Stone is co-hosting with me uh, on this one. Uh, he's the techie guy behind the Cognitive Rampage. So uh, I wanted him to uh, be with me in case we walk down technical lane. But uh, he ends up dropping some pretty funny one-liners along the way. But interesting podcast. I loved it. It was a great time. It always is in the Cognitive Cave. Uh, it's quite an experience hanging out here. But uh, we enjoyed it. Hope you enjoy the podcast. I am rather excited to have my friend, my cohort, my boy, Jeremy Pound, in the Cognitive Cave today. He's the co-founder and the CEO of Juicy Results. It's an internet marketing agency for the Fortune 5 million. I love that. That's our tagline. That's fucking awesome. Thanks. You're all important. You're way more important than me. Words matter. <laughs> I like to say intentions matter. They do. Yeah, I like that. You're, dude, I would sit here and read this entire list of shit Don't that you've done, it. but we're probably going to talk about it. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, re, re, all right. If for those of you listening, um, what are you, 36? 36. Yeah. For me, what are you, one of the youngest CEOs of some Fortune 100 company or something? We're not a Fortune 100 company yet, but no? appreciate that. Right, well, on his way. Well, well on his way yeah. then. But, um, yeah, so he runs a company called Juicy Results, and uh, they do all kinds of Internet online work, right? It's uh, website building, SEO. You're kind of like uh, the post I put up, the motherfucking man CEO, right? I like it, yeah. Yeah? That's what we do. We help companies grow online, whatever flavor that takes. All right. And you you run a blog, right? Yeah, we do a lot of writing about it, too. Yeah, what's the blog that you run? Well, it's on Juicy Results. The Bootstrap something, right? Oh, the Bootstrapper's Guide to SEO. So that's the first book in a series of Bootstrapper Guide books that we're putting out to teach people how to do this stuff. No shit. So yeah. does teaching people how to do this stuff take away from your business? Not at all. No. Education is the, the best marketing, right? Yeah, it is. Absolutely. And, and today, right, uh, uh, it's all about giving it away, I see. It is. You know, it, it's a noisy marketplace, right? 
So people don't want to uh, take take risks on working with people they don't understand. So when you teach people how to do stuff, it's like they're test driving your thinking. Ah, I like that. I like that because, you know, even as a counselor, they tell you you're supposed to counsel yourself out of the job. That's bullshit. Yeah. They don't do it. But um, <laughs> that's why they switch on two-month programs. So the idea of teaching those people is actually what's bringing you customers. Yeah, absolutely, because the more educated they are, the better they understand what we do, the better customer we're going to be. And, you know, I can watch Wimbledon one weekend, but I can't be an Andrew Roddick playing tennis on Monday, right? So I can teach people all this stuff. doesn't mean they're going to be able to execute on it. Ah, I got you. I got you. I watched, I watched some of it, too. You put out – I love what you started. You guys started this 365-day thing called uh, Juicy Bits, right? That's right. It was funny. I was discussing how I was going to bring that shit up before the podcast, and I was talking in the kitchen, right? And I definitely said the sentence that I wanted to talk about your juicy bits. <laughs> and my wife goes, excuse me? I was like, no, it's this thing he does. He yeah. doesn't have juicy bits. Well, I don't know. But, I mean, yeah. So so what was it? It was like three. Tell me what it was. So we committed to doing 365 days of video. So every day we put out a, a two- to four-minute video, something to inspire people. Some little little tip about marketing, something I've learned over the years, some new technology, interview people all the time, just something to start your day with so you can add it to your business. It all starts with an idea, right? Yeah. Yeah. It does. And, and then just being 36, founding a company, and like I said, man, I, I, I know you from some dealings we've had, but mm-hmm. I still had to bet you anyway. Uh, one of the things that caught my eye, obviously, it's written first, is that at 17, you were doing this shit. Absolutely. I mean, this is all I've been doing. Uh, I was really fortunate that I'm like... You know, came of age with the dot-com boom, right? So I was 17 years old, uh, kind of taught myself how to do the web design thing, and it led to a lot of opportunities. On my 19th birthday, uh, the newspaper where I grew up literally gave me kind of the, the website, the web development department. So I'm here running, you know, the whole web development department because nobody had, knew how to do this stuff, you know what I mean, in the late 90s, right? Yeah. So if you had any experience at all, you were in demand, you know, and that just kind of snowballed and again, flown all over the country. You know, Amazon offered me a job. I almost moved to Seattle. Went there twice, uh, didn't see the sun one time, and, you know, being from Florida, that wasn't going to work, right? So I went to the, you know, east coast of Florida, uh, worked a startup there, took, you know, my, my 50,000 stock options, thought I was going to be a millionaire, you know what I mean, like at, at 20, and, uh, you know, it was just, it was fantastic, right? But it all fell apart seven months later, and, you know, it was, it was around 9-11, it was around the dot-com bust, right? There was nothing going on, nobody could hire. But everybody could contract work. There was still a lot of work to do. So I was really fortunate that the entire executive team from the startup that I was at that blew up, you know, basically was looking for work. So they called me and said, we can't hire you, but we need work. And they kept giving me more work. I couldn't do it all myself, right? So I started to hire people. And so basically that was it. And then one day I realized no one's hiring. Why do I keep going on job interviews? I basically got a business, you know. And so that's it. So I've been running this company in one shape or another since I was 21. It's really all I know how to do. I'm completely unemployable at this point. Holy. <laughs> All this, I'm a bad motherfucker, completely unemployable at this yeah, point. totally. So, at 17, what made you ready at 19 to head this up? What were you doing? Well, I like to say I went to Barnes & Noble University, right? So, I was really interested in the stuff. All my friends were going out, you know, drinking on the weekends, and I can't say I didn't do that sometimes, but most of the time, I was basically going to Barnes & Noble. This is before, you know, we all had the internet everywhere and broadband, and the stuff just wasn't available. So what just, year was it? So listeners kind of... Like 96, 97. Okay. So I just go to Barnes & Noble and crack open the books, have some coffee, and just basically learn, you know? And the next thing I know is building websites, and I saw what this big newspaper that I was kind of had like an internship, kind of like a part-time job at, they weren't doing anything. And so, you know, me being me, 
I just started going upstairs and saying, hey, why aren't you guys doing this? And this is what the website should look like. And what if we do this, you know? And it was a Gannett newspaper, which is like USA Today and 90 different newspapers. And basically when they, they hired us, they said, here's what we're going to do. we got 90 newspapers. Just do what works and tell us what works, and then we'll institutionalize it across the whole thing, right? And so that was it. And, and, so, and you're fucking 19. Exactly. But wow. no one knew how to do this stuff. So it was just, so like I said, very lucky to come of age. You know, luck is, you know, opportunity meaning preparation. I was out doing this stuff all the time, and it just started to happen. And so uh, just everything fell into place. Because I was in the newsroom, the biggest problem all these newspapers had was getting the newsroom to cooperate to, with this new, you know, website project that nobody really was taking serious in the 90s. And they're like, dude, we got a, we got a newspaper to get out. And you're freaking bugging us about this, this website, you know? Like, and so nowadays, cooperate. fuck your paper. We yeah. got a website to update. We know how that turned out, right? So, yeah, because I worked in the newsroom and I was this 19-year-old kid. So, literally, I was 18, showing up every day in shorts and a T-shirt, developing film, working on graphic design, just helping out. And on my 18th birthday, I show up in a suit and I go upstairs and I'm running, like, the website department. They just thought it was hilarious. So, anything I needed, they were bought in. So we had, a, we had a ton of success because of that. And so, you know, things started to snowball. And then about a year later, I was like, you know, everyone around me that's in dot-com stuff is getting rich. Like, I need, to, I need to get into this thing, right? So I just started moving around and, you know, moving to startups. And, it, you know, it didn't last very long, as we know. So, but it was cool. And so that gave me a, a taste of what was possible, gave me a taste of, you know, don't just follow the plan, right? Like, I was in college. I it was crazy to do anything but just go to college until I was done, right? And so... I remember approaching my mom, and I said, I got this opportunity to run this department, but I'm going to have to go to part-time school, you know, and, like, that's not part of the plan. Are you guys okay with that? My mom was kind of like, this seems like a really good thing. Why don't you do it? And I was just like, oh, okay. Like, you know, I just thought, nobody does that, you know? Like, what the heck? So, Fucking go, Mrs. Cool. Pound. Yeah. Go with your badass parenting self. They've always encouraged me to do that. So that was it. Same thing. When when, when I, my company started to take off, I remember having breakfast with my parents, and I said, uh, I don't think I'm going to look for a job anymore because I got all this work. You know what I mean? And then the next thing was, I'm going to take a semester off and then never finish school. So, you know, a proud college dropout, you know, 20, 20 years later or whatever. It hasn't been 20 years yet, but, you know, 15 years later. And it's working out. There's no one path. I, I love that, man. And so many times, man, parents, they lose that track, right? It, it becomes this is the only path, right? Not to mention it's jammed down your fucking throat every day. Yeah. College is all you do. This is it, right? And you know, you talked about that, that moment. I can almost picture you, man, when you were talking. I can see it, this young 19-year-old kid, you know, stacked yourself full of competence. And then that clicked on this passion for you. And then all of a sudden you have this confidence and you're like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to walk in that office and I'm going to say something. And, you know, in that moment, that could have been the moment that unfolded everything. And so many people avoid that moment. Until they're ready, mm -hmm. right? Were you ready when you approached that? Never. I think you know this about me. Like, I posted about this, you know, a couple of days ago. You know, great things happen when you do stuff before you're ready, right? Like, waiting till you're ready is never going to happen, right? It's just, it's just a thing you're going to tell yourself that's going to keep drawing it out. Now, I get it. you got to be prepared. You, can, you always want to walk into battle prepared, right? You never want to, you know, do something cavalier. But... To start, one of the one of the most misleading statements I think is out there is you never get a second chance to make a first impression. I think that that makes people feel like I got to be perfect. I got to be buttoned up. Don't don't mess this up. You know, don't put yourself out there too early. You get one shot, dude. I mean, 
We all know it, right? You, you've met someone, you made a horrible first impression, right? There's one of the, one of my best friends. She's called my wife in there. Yeah, there I, you go. I made a horrible first impression. Totally. Well, but it also but stuck with it, right? It also points to the thought process that there's only one avenue. Yeah. So there's only one first impression. But there's if you're looking for a job, then there's thousands of employers, millions of employers, depending on where you're going. Or your first impression could be anything. It could be you starting your own thing. Mm -hmm. It only fails when you stop. Absolutely. There's no one way to talk man. about. I, I kind of know. What was the first impression of these old rag-owning motherfuckers? Because you know when they own the newspapers, some old motherfuckers up there. And and this young boy walks in from South Florida and says, "Hey, you got to do some shit." What, what was that first impression? You know, if you remember those days, like it was just crazy. All you turn on the TV, everybody's talking about dot com, and everything's changed. Everything's different. You know, I mean, I had the floor. You know, you walk in and you're like, "Okay, this is the future." He's talking about it. Looking back on it, I, I'm kind of blown away. You know what I mean? They were just the whole world was scared. I think we just gave you a fighting name. Jeremy, the future pound. <laughs> I don't know why you haven't changed your last name yet to hashtag. Right. No, I'm it on, is the future. The I'm the was in the old school. I know. I was on the dial-up phone. I'm on a rant. I feel like they they hijacked my last name, right? You know, like I got a bookend literally on my bookshelf. It's the hashtag, but it was a pound symbol. You know, whenever it walks in, they love it because they're like, "Yo, pound symbol." Saying. You need to be Jeremy. And I'm hashtag. like, I'm I'm no. trying to take it back. I'm trying to change it. Jeremy, oh. the future hashtag, or flip it hashtag Jeremy the future. I don't know. I think it just should be pound Jeremy pound. That's a lot of pounding. I think I think hashtag, hashtag Jeremy market here. I say that in your podcast. Hashtag the trend. We won't even talk about that ten years. We'll just go back to the pound sign. Ah, uh -huh. yeah. It's got its like that meme. We used to play tic tac toe on that shit. Right. Yeah. That ain't a motherfucking hashtag. Yeah, no. That's play that shit in the sand. So I think that should be the the hashtag for this podcast. Is hashtag Jeremy hashtag. Be hashtag pound, but just do the hashtag. So it's like two hashtags in a row. Two right? hashtags. Blow everyone's mind. Hashtag. You might break Twitter if you do two, <laughs> two hashtags in a row. There's a, there's a bug. How the fuck did we get here? We're, <laughs> we're talking about the future. Uh, that's right. They called you the future. You're standing there. You take the floor over. So I gotta imagine these these. Um, oh, I don't want to be derogatory. These be journalists. Derogatory. <laughs> it's your podcast. You can do what you want to do. That is fucking true. That's right. Don't self-censor. All right. Uh, no PC. I always say that. I, I always say that. I started my company because nobody would give me the job that I thought I deserved when I was 21 years old. That's so what I just freaking built the company. And you know, dude, that is a perfect. Who cares left. about first impressions when you're the one you got to impress? Yeah. yeah. Hey, that's a Make perfect left field, Jeremy, or left turn, because you know I, I love that because all I hear, I'm gonna be honest, I, I these fucking old farts that are parents and shit. You know, I got a 15 year old too. You know, and I hear him talking, and it's all this idea. That, well, just get out of school and think they should be a CEO right away, right? That's what you hear. Yeah. And as if this is a bad thing. Yeah. Confidence. Fantastic. But you're not allowed to have it. No. You just graduated. You're supposed to work for the man, punch the fuck in, and do what you're told. The people who love the establishment, the people who love the way things should be, are the things who pay their dues, right? So read a, I read a great article one time about why hazing never goes away from fraternities, right? Because the people who have been through it never want to see the next person come in that doesn't go through it themselves. I feel like, you know, that's basically like a microcosm of why people don't want to change. I paid my dues. It wasn't easy for me. It shouldn't be easy for you. You know what we call them? 
What's that? Hashtag haters. Hashtag haters. <laughs> I was just thinking bastards. But <laughs> that's true. But hey, whatever works. But that's true, though. Yeah. You know, and I, that's a good point. You know, I've never really looked at it like that, Jeremy. That idea of, you know, that they have. You know, they put their 20, their 30 in. You know, they're they're counting the months to retirement. And they'll be there, and they'll play bingo, and they'll buy an RV, or whatever the fuck. And fucking shoot me, by the way. If I ever talk about any of that. <laughs> no, an RV would be cool. I would try to own an RV. And nothing against RVs. Dude, her grandma's awesome. Her grandma's like 80-something, and she's been traveling the whole country in an RV with her sister. There you go. So, I'll uh, still shoot you, but can, still. Can you take the podcast on the road? Yeah, we could. Cognitive random. The future is mobile, man. Yeah. <laughs> we can have mobile hotspots. Oh, I was getting shit live somewhere. I got lost. Where was I going? Hey, you weren't talking about shit. It was probably a lie. <laughs> they were talking about people that expected to be the way it was when they came up. Yeah. yeah that's Why right. should it be any different for you? Right. And I never really looked at it that way. Because I guess if you do stand there, right, and you're going, you know what, motherfucker, I bit the bullet. I did what I didn't love. I punched in. I punched out, you know. You have to do that too. That's so, true. So you know, I, you go on. Sorry, you go on rampages about education all the time. This is huge in education. Think about all the people that learned how to write cursive. They learned how to use. They learned how to do math the long way. They think it's crazy to never to stop teaching that. I don't need to know how to do math anymore, right? Because, like, I mean, I need to know, I need to understand the fundamentals of math, right? But I don't need to show my work because I got tools to do that for me. I'm opening my mind to the next thing. There's this awesome story about Einstein. And Time Magazine did, like, the last story on Einstein before he passed away. And the writer spent, like, a week with him. And he asked all these great questions. He's like, okay, we're done here. I'm going to go back. I'm going to write this thing. If I have any questions, can I call you? If I come across anything that i got to clarify, can I give you a call? So Einstein says, sure. So he walks over out of his library, pulls out a phone book, looks up his number, and he gives it to him. And the writer is just like, you're the greatest mind of our time, and you don't know your own phone number? And he said something that I'm paraphrasing, I'll, I'll just totally butcher. But why would I fill my mind with information that's easily accessible so that I, that I can't solve the problems I need to solve, right? So why are we making, you know, kids learn stuff that is just instantaneously, you know, accessible that they don't need to know? I would just agree. because the people before them learned it and they don't want to let that go. Well, uh, that's, that's why I said bastards or haters, like you hashtag haters. What, what is it about society that makes them... I don't know, it's like a, uh, what is it, what's the word I'm looking for? It's like vicious or vindictive, like you have to suffer through this crap. Instead of like, I went through, like how we're supposed to be with families. I don't want you to suffer through what I had to suffer through, so I'm going to make it better for you. Now, I understand that there's an aspect of you got to grow through it so that you can become a better person. But at the same time, there's that vindictive, there seems like a vindictiveness of, well, no, you have to learn it this way or you aren't intelligent. You aren't smart. Like the whole common core math yeah, debacles that I see on the Internet. I'm like, are you kidding me? That this yeah. is, you can't just go four minus two is, you know, you got to add 10 and then subtract 27 and then add yeah, They did a whole, uh, there was a talk or a podcast on um, about how, oh, I can't remember the guy's name. I'll have, we'll have to add it in later. Um, but Show he, notes. Yeah, he was doing the uh, research uh, about eventually how the whole school system will eventually change, that, you know, we're teaching this mindless information that you have to hold. And like you mm-hmm. said, there's no reason to have to recall this. I mean, there's already things out there like the Dunbar number. You know, we can only remember so many people anyway. So, I mean, i got to imagine this fits for information as well, yeah. as null and void as phone numbers or theoretical perspectives. You know, so 
Remember the one guy, uh, he talked about uh, drive learning, about how, how kids want to learn what they want to learn anyway, you know, on their own, if they're left to their own devices to chase it. And I, I think that's true, you know, and I do hear those parents, man, you're right. Well, they just punch in a calculator. They don't have to do long division anymore. I don't know why yeah. the person's from Texas or South, but it's just... Yeah, it works. Texas accent. It worked. I don't know. It works. But uh, <laughs> well, forgive me. But whatever. Uh, but, but it's true. Yeah. And they bitch about these things. And I think I'm lucky enough to say that I'm a 34-year-old father to a 15-year-old because I'm not quite old enough to where I'm like, your music and your thing, you know, and your shit. I'm not that person, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Rogan said something a long time ago, and he's like, dude, I just think about my own little girl, and she's just a neurotic little person in that back room, just like I am. You know what I mean? We all are, right? Yeah. And if left to their devices to learn how they want to, like you did. I mean, look what you did, Jeremy. No one said go to Barnes & Noble University. That was me. Right. You search that competence on your own without being told what to do. Mm-hmm. You know, when you want something, we talk about it, right? It's resourcefulness. You know, as a total tangent here, the number one skill set I look for when I hire, the number one skill set that I think we sh- you should be proud of is resourcefulness because you never know what you're going to come up against, right? And if you can solve the problems with, with whatever happens, you can get through anything. You know what I mean? So resourcefulness is huge. But I want to I want to share a story about what we're talking about, about people who learn it one way and they're vested in it, you know? And this will appeal to the, the web development geeks out there. I was programming web pages, you know, from the early days, right? It was just HTML, and then CSS came out. And CSS was some complicated stuff, you know what I mean? Like, you're talking about pixel sizes, and nothing ever worked, and whatever worked in one browser didn't work in another. And it got to the point where I had put hundreds of hours in, and I was just really fucking good at it, right? My whole value as a professional was how awesome I could just do CSS the first time. And you had to... You had to guess, you had to, like, do the numbers, and then you had to render the page, and you hoped it worked. You, like, crossed your fingers, and then sometimes it didn't, right? And then you had to look at it, and you'd say, well, maybe it's 80 pixels, not 100. So that's what you used to do, and it was, you got paid a lot of money for it. It was really hard to freaking do. And then in one day, one day, they released a Firefox plugin called the Inspector. And you could literally click on any box that you were, like, writing the code for, and it would tell you what was wrong. I became obsolete. All my skill set was obsolete in one second. Wow. That was it. And I remember being upset when this programmer came in and showed me how to do it and how basically everything I built this thing up did it. So what do I want to do? Do I want to bash him and say, you know, oh, you don't know how to do it. That's not good. Like everything I've done, I'm going to. So what did I do? I freaking hired that guy. I freaking hired that guy. And I was like, I'll move on to the next skill set. I'll learn how to sell. I'll learn how to do the next thing at the higher level value. But do you know how many people would have got caught up and been upset about that and said, I'm a purist? You know, screw that that tool. You know, like get stuck in the past yeah. and then try to murder that guy and hide his body so yeah. nobody finds the. Uh, well, there was a hundred more like him standing so on the other side. Obsolete. So I'm just saying, like, how many how many of us are faced with that moment where everything you've invested is now obsolete? What do you do with that? That's a really defining moment. It's happening every day. I, I mean, can hire the guy. Like, that's the right attitude, not just yeah. move on and just be pissed and, like, oh, I'm going to, you know, oh, this like, why did I do all that time? You know? That's actually war strategy. That's oh, yeah. war strategy that Genghis Khan actually did. He would keep the smartest and the leaders and the generals and make him the, the general of his Mongol armies because, obviously, they could have be resourceful and could survive his attack. Yeah. And so rather than just slaughter everyone, if you had anything to offer, whether it would be any kind of art, poetry, advice, resourcefulness, if you're a good general, et cetera, you were welcomed into the, into the Khan army. Yeah. And so, I mean, to pull from that ancient, you know, idea, 
that's exactly what you did. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, it also goes into the idea that you talked about, um, which is just being open. Right, that idea of having the humility, because, yeah, you know, that humility, humility misses. I, I write a lot in the book about how, uh, I, well, I reference it as a principle of change, right? If you're trying to change something, like one of the principles you need is a principle I call the HC. And the HC is humility to competence. You can't gain competence unless you have a humility to go, I don't know shit. But if you want to sit there and go, I write CSS, I'm a purist. I don't need to know that yeah. shit. If you deny the competence, right, if you have no humility. Denial. Great word. In that moment, you yeah. show humility in that one moment, and that allowed more competence into your life at that very moment. And instant change. So in that one day, you may have lost all your skill set. By a moment of HC and that principle, you actually gain the skill set and asset to what you were doing and push you farther all in one day. 100%. I was moving up the hierarchy of skills. You know, you start as a technician. You need to do it all yourself. You know, but there's leverage in being able to acquire talent, manage talent, inspire talent, right? And you keep moving up the hierarchy, and then it becomes, how do I create systems that any talent can plug into? How do I create consistency in the work that this talent's creating? And you keep moving up, how do I create leadership? How do I inspire people, right? But you know what I mean? Just like moving up. It's, so It's similar. Like, I, you know what? I, I'd like you to elaborate there because um, being a guy who's built businesses before, you know, trying things, failing many times, Etc. is more failure than success anyway. The best teacher. Thank you. You talk about that building up, right? Mm-hmm. And starting as a technician. Um, can you kind of walk through your life of how you began the technician all the way you started to, how you jumped skill, and how now being the C- CEO of the company and hiring and how you look for people in those areas and how and where they are in the ladder? That was a big question. Wrapped yeah. up tightly. The fucking long enough? Yeah. No, no, that was a great, that was a question that was so tight that I feel like would take me all night. You know what I mean? But yeah. That was the point. That's it. Like, <laughs> I started the company because I was the best person in the room that knew how to do the service. There's a, there's a really low ceiling on that, right? That's it. If I, if I never wanted to surround myself with people that were, that were better than me at doing it, it was always going to be me. And I was always trading time for dollars. That was my craft at the time, and that's fine. We're, a lot of us are artists, a lot of us are, you know, technicians. There's nothing wrong with that. But you need to recognize that when you do that, it's you. And if you get sick, you can't do it anymore. You know what I mean? If you want to scale, you want to, if you've got something amazing to offer the world, if you're trying to change the world, if you're trying to bring something huge, and you won't let anyone else do it, then you gotta, you're playing in a really small sandbox, right? So then you move up to the next level, and you say, well, how do I bring more people in the ship? You know, like, how do I attract people? How do I recruit people? And then how do I make them all play together? How do I create, like, some consistent guidelines for people? And then, you know, you continue to move up and you say, well, you know, these smart people can work anywhere. What's our mission? What's our, what's our values? You know, what do we have to offer as a company? What are we all rallying around? Because there's nothing more broken than a company full of people that have different values. That's the one unifying concept of every great company is everybody is surrounded around a core value set. So think about it. If you ever meet someone, you respect them, right? You probably do this, Adam. You know, you're very outspoken, as we know. No, you need someone. Not me. Not you. I don't want your listeners to know that, but I, I've learned. So you, you meet someone, and you're like, I like this guy. I mean, I don't like this guy at all. I respect him. I can't really put my finger on it, but I just don't freaking like this guy. I get that a lot. You know what it is? I, I'll tell you this, what it is. Different values. That right there, you two have different values. And so there's nothing more broken than a company full of people that all have different values. So I've learned as a leader to really hone in on the values. You and I were talking before the podcast, what's the essence of your message, right? I feel like every great organization, the bigger, 
the more simple the rallying point, the more focused the rallying point, the bigger the audience can get, the bigger the movement can get, the bigger the message can get, right? It's a paradox. So having really clear values, having a really clear mission as a company, you get huge companies. We all know. I mean, it's, it's almost a cliche. Well, Simon Sinek, right? That uh, video he does. Why? Yeah. I mean, Apple is, is the par- I mean, it's the cliche of this, right? Think different, right? They don't. They're not a computer company. They're trying to create a bicycle for the mind. You know, if you've ever heard that analogy before, something to make people better, right? It's a really simple concept that created a huge company. You know, Google trying to organize all of the world's information. Very simple concept, right? People rally around that. So that's it. The tighter more, you know, focus your messages, the essences, the values, the bigger your movement gets, the bigger your company gets, the bigger everything gets. So that's what we were talking about before the podcast when I was challenging you, you know, what's your essence, what's that message? Because the smaller your message gets, the tighter, the bigger the movement gets. The paradox. So when you're hiring, like you said, because I'm going to, like you said, my question was quite long-winded, so I'll I'll fill in middle gaps to to keep us both on track. Don't don't let the ADH guy (laughs) keep us on track. But... Um, is there adult supervision here? <laughs> my wife's out there. She'll be in here in a minute. She has to bring me a pen. You keep talking, and I keep hitting these ideas, and I, I got too many questions already. That I'm, never mind. See, I told you I couldn't do this without Steve yeah. and my wife. I couldn't do this without Steve and my wife. My, my wife first, and you. Uh, Thank you. I still love you. I appreciate yeah. it. Well, dude, i got to write all this shit down. Well, when you're talking to people, though, how do you find the value? How, are, how do you see the value in the interviewer or the person that's trying to, to work with you? What we're hiring? Yeah. The values are consistent. The values are written in concrete. The values are the Ten Commandments. You basically spend all of your time poking holes in the person, making sure they fit your values. Right? That's it. So it's simple. You know the values before that person ever shows up. Everyone we hire, I've learned to ask the right questions, you know. How, how do you feel about this value? How did you exhibit this value in your past company? How would you exhibit here, right? So, you know, some examples of, like, there's a personal value that I have for my whole life that is one of our company values. Let's leave everything better than you found it, right? I don't want to come to your podcast unless I'm going to leave it better than I found it. I'm going to add value to it. I don't want to take on a client. These are big circles, and these are small circles. I don't want to go to a freaking meeting if I'm not going to make that meeting better. You're never going to see me in a meeting just sit back and be quiet unless I'm taking a bunch of notes. I'm going to go to the person that was talking and say, here's some feedback for you. You know, like, I don't want to be a part of anything unless I'm going to make it better than I found it. So that's a company value. So I drill people, tell me a club that you belong to. You can't, I have a hard time. I get involved, I get invited to clubs or I get invited to, like, you know, organizations, and I join. I'm like, I'm freaking busy, I'm not going to do it. Then, like, a year later, I'm the freaking president of the thing. You know what I mean? And I'm just, like, making, I'm, like, I'm on the board, I'm pushing stuff. I'm like, we need to do this. I can't help it. I just can't help it. So you're a squirrel guy, too. Totally. So, but I recognize my squirrel weakness, and so I just say, I'm not even going to join. I'm not even going to join. Yeah, the same. Because same I can't with, say yes to everything, the, you know? the dance world, I haven't gotten back in fully because I know as soon as I do, I'll be back to where I was before yeah. I left, which is running dances and promoting and making like, it better. We, we can make this thing better. We, yeah. we can get more people. More people need to know about this and yeah. the joy that you can have just from dancing and socially and and I'm like, all right, I'm just going to step back because I don't have time for that right now. I think people, you know, we talk about self-awareness, right? Your best self-awareness is knowing what your values are. What gets you, you know, what, what do you believe? You? What gets under your skin? What makes you excited? What do you believe? What will you fight someone over, right? What you rally around? Do you know that about yourself? 
life gets a lot easier. That self-awareness is, is, is important, is really understanding, you know, what you do bring to the table or what you could bring or what you think, are, and especially what your weaknesses are. That's why you'll hear me reference a lot that mm-hmm. this ADHD thing. I know it's true. Yeah. Right? But whether it's diagnosed, it's not. I just fuck around because it's a good definition. Sure. But I really shouldn't play because that's a serious diagnosis. Um, now, your your values, I wanted to, we talk about, you know, some cliche notions like values, right? We, we get what they can mean, values and beliefs, corporate values, life values. Mm-hmm. How much of your life values of what you do daily and what you put together come together with your work values? Where do they? I'm, I'm, I'm fortunate. I get to wake up every day and do what I love. We talked about this, right? Like that's, you know, most grateful for that. You know, it's it's tough. Feel like that's a tragedy when you're living your entire life. We all have a percentage. Some of us are zero. Some of us are hundred. You know, I don't think you want to be any opposite. You want to be in the middle. But you want to wake up and at the end of the day, you want to feel like you're doing what you like. You know, you want to make the world a better place. You want to be selfish. You want to do things for other people. You know, you're constantly worried about your family. You know, the people in your life. You're making compromises. You make too many compromises, you lose your identity, right? You make, you know, you basically want to get it to where you're in the middle. That's what I mean. So I get to wake up every day. I get to make my own company. So my company values are my freaking values. You know what I mean? Like with some with some changes in there because I need an organization to be bigger than me, right? And I sat down and I said, what's important to me? How do I think the world should work? How do I think the company should work, you know? And that's my personal value. I mean, I'm a company builder. Like that's what that's what I'm passionate about. I want to create more opportunity for my investors, for my customers, for my employees. I want When I die, I want to be like, I wouldn't have had that opportunity if this company didn't exist, you know, not just one, but many of them. Like, that's what gets me out of bed in the morning. It's gets me excited. So, luckily, I get to imprint my values on those things, which is awesome. So, I'll tell you what. People always say, you've run your own business since you were 21. You can probably never work for someone else. I say, it's not true at all. If I believe in their mission and they got the same values as me, be a fucking great number two, great number three. You know what I mean? If those things fall in place. But I didn't find that, so I created it myself. Yeah. Which I think so many people are, are they try to do, and I mean, let's be honest, it's a tough world out there in business creation, right? And it is those small business creators that actually create the economy, not these, never mind, not yeah. these big corporations that trickle down economics, mm-hmm. but it's the little entrepreneur you know, at 17, at 19, you know, like you, Steve, that writes a comic book and puts out three or four, you have a 20-series part, right? I mean, it's something you love. I mean, your podcast is out, you know? I mean, you you, you put that out to the Set in Stone podcast. That's your passion. And not everybody has the, you know, the guts to follow that, you know, mm-hmm. to, to take that chance and, and push that world of their own. And, I mean, I would, I don't know, I'd, I'd ask you, What's the drive behind that? I, I know it's about doing what you love, but before you found doing what you love, maybe what you know what drives what drives the future every day for me or in general. You're the fucking future. Oh <laughs> <laughs> wait, there's nothing worse than dying with your song still in you, right? Who said that? that? I wish I. I mean, that's not my line, so don't quote me on that. I, can't. I literally just saw that the other day. Yeah, you don't want to die with your song still in you, right? With your book in you, with the company in you, with the movement in you. There's nothing worse than that, right? So, I think about it all the time. Listen, I love flying. I fly all the time for work. I'll be honest with you. Every time I fly and the plane starts shaking like crazy, I'm like, oh fuck, this is it. You know what I mean? And I always try to readjust where I'm at. Am I happy dying, flying to go speak at this conference? Am I on a trip somewhere I want to be? I never want to be caught doing something that I regret and wish I was doing something else, right? It takes a lot of sacrifice, you know, in like a, a small circle, 
But I use that analogy a lot. I always think about that. You know, every time I fly and the thing starts shaking, I'm like, oh, fuck, you know, is this going to be it? Think you about know? it, right? Yeah. Listen, no plane I've ever been on has ever killed me, so I shouldn't even be scared about it anymore. Right? It's like the safest way to travel, but it's just human nature. You know, you're in a freaking Maybe metal. that's the way you just reset yourself, Jeremy. Now the therapist cap just came on. Imagine that. All right. Maybe that's the way. Because, see, I think we all find our own tick, right? Yeah. Whatever this tick is that starts your day, like, I'll take it all the way back to when, you know, some people play football or a sport, right? Or before they do something, they do this little body movement, right? Mm -hmm. They'll move something and we go, okay, that's like, all right, we're ready, right? And some people do reset, you know, like uh, some people eat mushrooms once a year or twice a year when they need an emotional reset, right? And some people smoke DMT, some people run a marathon, some people run a sewer. Maybe that's just the, the way you reset. The ocean every time I reset. Is that yours? Yeah. But no, I mean, that's huge. That, I feel like that's it. If I'm overstressed, I'm not sure what to do, I just need to sit. I call it the edge of the world. I feel like when I'm on a beach, I'm on the edge of the world. You know what I mean? Like, because that's what it feels like, you know, in a small context, which is a whole other story, right? Like, to you, it's literally the edge of the world. But, yeah, I love this. I mean, it's a, it's a measuring stick. I mean, it's a yardstick. When that plane starts shaking and I get scared, you know, what am I doing? What have I done with the last... Two days, two weeks, two years, you know? Am I on the right path? Very few people ask themselves that. I, I would agree, you know, and I, you speak about, I think we're talking about this idea of purpose, maybe. Mm-hmm. You know, we hear a lot about that talk about my purpose, finding your purpose, et cetera. One of my favorite phrases that I use in my book a lot, that's a quote that I said, I don't believe that we find purpose. I think purpose finds us through purposeful mm-hmm. structure. And the way you structured your life, even at 17, by feeding that competence from the beginning, all of a sudden, when you structured your life this way, purpose just punched you in the fucking face. It really did. Uh, listen, uh, you know, one of the best business books I ever read was The E-Myth, right? I got to go see Michael Gerber speak this week, which was awesome. Was when I was 17, I was working on that business plan. My uh, my uncle, my dad's best friend, Ed, gave me this business book. He was trying to help me raise the money. He literally believed in me. Like, I, you know. I, like, I didn't have one ounce of doubt in my head at 17 that I was going to raise this money and start this dot-com startup, you know? And so here's this adult. He's like, hey, read this book. You know, it's helpful. And I won't go into it, but, you know, it's the best-selling business book of all time. And so the author is 79 years old. And I, got, I, I was very fortunate to go see what, I, in my opinion, is a, is a business legend, right? He's changed changed the, the way we think about business. Um, and check out the book because it'll be a whole tangent if we talk about the essence of that book, the essence of his message, which is amazing. Well, you posted it. Remember I posted a picture of my yeah. copy of it. That's right. Yeah, that's 100%. So I got to see Gerber talk. and that's so cool, man. He said something that was amazing. And he literally said, you know, I'm going to talk to you guys. I'm fortunate to be a part of Entrepreneur's Organization. You know, amazing people in this room with me. We flew him into Fort Lauderdale. Talk about being grateful and having opportunity. There's like 50 of us, right? 50 of us getting a private lunch with Michael Gerber. You know, you just can't be upset about life if you appreciate the right things, if you look at it the right way that way. So here's Gerber, and he says, you know, listen, I got nothing to prove. You know, I've sold 6 million books. You know, I'm going to tell you what I think I'm going to tell you. If you really listen, if you don't get in your own way, I might change you, change a lot of people. And he said, a third of you are going to love me, a third of you are going to hate me, and a third of you are going to not know what the hell happened today, like by the time it's done. And he went on, and and this is what he said. He said, it is a damn shame if you run your business for the money. A lot of us start it for the money. A lot of us just kind of get into it. But he he relates it to how he learned how to play music, about playing sax. He's he's actually, a lot of people know this now, he's like a total world-class sax player. And he, he got very lucky. His parents moved to L.A., he entered to one of the best teachers ever. 
He made him practice three hours a day. He was the only kid that this teacher was teaching. He was teaching like adults to be world-class players. He would make him practice three hours a day. And he said, if you're practicing three hours a day and you come see me once a week, you don't learn to play music. Music finds you. And he said, and I would just play every day. And every third or fourth lesson, music would find me. And as soon as music found me, the teacher would join in. And I knew when music found me. And he didn't know what I was playing, and he matched every note for note. And we just made magic happen. And he said, that's what you do in your business. You don't know why you start your company. You don't know what it is. But you start it, and you stick with it, and you don't give up. And then one day, you realize that there's a mission. There's a purpose in you. And when you're executing that purpose, an unhuman energy reaches you. And you do things at an inhuman level. And when he said that, I was like, yes. There's times where I drag my ass to the office when I'm, like, doing stuff. I'm like, why am I doing this? There's times where seven days can go by of straight work, and I don't even think about it. I don't think about anything else, right? And it's this magical moment, you know? And it's true. Too many people wait to find their purpose, right? It's just being in the game, being in the game, right? And so I knew that I wanted this company. Not everyone has to start their own company. you just got to be in the game. you got to be doing what you think you need to be doing. And somewhere between 100, 500, 1,000, 20,000 hours, it'll find you. That's it, man. When you get that, that stuff, it's not human. It's spiritual. You know, it reaches you, and you're just you're firing at all cylinders. You're doing stuff that no one can touch you. No one can compete with you when you're doing that stuff. And that, Jeremy, is what I call a cognitive motherfucking rampage. <laughs> you see how we bring that Triggered motherfucker it. out, right? Triggered just, it. Yeah. Pull that bitch out of you, man. Yeah, but I'll go on to that because that, that's huge to me. Whenever I, people come to me and, you know, they say, you know, and I know it's very serious. You're very into mental health, right? And there's serious mental health issues. And I feel like there's a lot of people on the fringe, in the middle there. And they're just upset. They're just disappointed with their life. They're, you know, they're they're depressed on a minimum level. Man, it is hard to be depressed when you're doing something that you feel is important, whether it's serving somebody else. And I always say that. If you're lost in life, don't make it about you. Don't ever say, i got to find my thing. Go find someone you can help. And when you're in the act of helping that person, something something's going to happen. You know what I mean? I'm a big part of Rotary. The service organization is awesome. And there's nothing. I joined that club at a really dark time in my business, like 2008, 2009. Things weren't going well. You know, my first company was kind of failing, starting the second one. And I found this, what I thought was like kind of a networking organization that would help my, my business. It wasn't all, but it was just, I was giving all my time to helping other people and using my resources to do stuff. And that is some awesome soul food during a bad time. So, you know, if you're ever going through something that's tough, you're doing things, just help someone else, man. Just just do it. And it, it'll work up. And when you're living your purpose, man, it is impossible to be upset about much. I, I couldn't agree, man, because you know what you did when you uh, you used some, some humility, started giving away what it is, and just made yourself not the purpose, you know, and just put it out there. See, I, I think people get confused a lot of times when people use the word or myself use the word competence because competence kind of comes across as like something I read or a knowledge yeah. or something someone told me, et cetera. But competence also comes through experience. Reading a book is actually the experience. Giving back like you did is an experience. That experience builds the competence in you. Mm -hmm. And so perhaps on that scale to where you showed some humility, went and created experiences through that. And that itself fed you with more competence of what you can do, man. That's a beautiful thing. I love how you use the word soul food. My brother, Ranye, uses that. He does a, he does a post every morning called soul food. Mm -hmm. And he feeds that out, man. And so tell me about this dark time. 
So I started my company when I was 21. I knew nothing but double digit, if not 100% growth every year until around 2007, 2008, right? So huge office. When you're, when you're in your 20s and you start a company and nothing's wrong, you hire your friends or you hire people to become your friends, right? So you're constantly with, you know, the people that are your life, you know, and I was totally, my business was my identity. I will say this. Life was good. You know, I don't used to joke all the time. Even when I had that whole dot-com thing, you know, like in 2000, Amazon's flying me out and interviewing MTV, and I was like, I'm 20 years old, right? And, you know, I'm like, this whole being an adult thing is freaking easy. Like, what's everyone complaining about? You know what I mean? Like, I just didn't understand what the problem was. I'm like, they're clearly doing something wrong. And then, you know, oh, I get laid off, and 9-11 happens, and I'm like, oh, man, this is bad. Yeah, within six months, I'm starting my company. I'm getting a ton of business. I'm hiring people. So I was really taught, you know, failure was very short, very temporary, nothing but ego, nothing but confidence. You know, this business is successful because of me. You know, everything I touch turns to gold every year, all the way to, like, you know, 2008. And then we all know what happened in 2008. We went to, uh, oh, yeah. went to Munich to go to Oktoberfest with my brother at, like, the time of our life. While I was there, not only did, like, the economy fall apart, my company fell apart. Learned a lot of lessons, by the way. My whole new company is founded on the lessons I learned. Number one, don't go to Munich. <laughs> Got <laughs> it. Haven't been back, but I'm hoping that was not a lesson because I'm excited to go back again. Great town, Oktoberfest. Totally recommend it, man. Had a great time. So I had I had a ton of employees. We were doing big things. But I really had two companies that were like 80% of my revenues, right? I didn't really have a business. I had a job with two bosses. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So that was one thing, you know, is that like my company now is, is really founded on a value of doing a lot of, of doing great work for a lot of companies, having diversity. If you ever come to me and you're upset, I want to be comfortable saying, here's your money back, Adam. Like, it didn't work out. No harm feeling. It doesn't put a dent in my business. You know what I mean? That, that's amazing confidence that gives you as a business operator. So, you know, the lesson here is when you fail, like, there's some huge lessons in there. So we were founded on that for sure. The other thing, too, is that I was selling these big projects, you know, and I had so much ego. It's a quarter-million-dollar project at, like, 26, 27. You're on fire. I can do anything, right? When you sell a project and that project's over, you're on a treadmill. You've got to sell another project, right? So my new business is based on retainer models and monthly. So, you know, it's just huge. Like when something terrible happens to you, there's usually some awesome jewels in there, right? So, so that happened. So that kind of fell apart. And, you know, like some like 12, 13 employees and then like 10 contractors, huge office, and we have no business like overnight. You know, one company lost their funding, one went out of business right away. And you're laying off your friends, your, like, best friends, right? And you're telling people you can't pay them, you know what I mean? Like, it's just all there. Well, any money you made, any money you, like, saved, you know, when you're that, you, you think you're going to solve it, so you just naively take it from you and you put it right back in the company, you know what I mean? You just, like, have no problem. And so that's what we were going through, right? And so I think it was ever going to work. Never gave up on it, you know, not for, like, maybe a month or two. Because the girlfriend I had at the time was like, you know, you should go get one of those safe jobs over at Citrix like our friends have. You know what I mean? Like, consider it for like a month. And I was like, I never really considered it. You know what I mean? That's that's really telling about and me. inside you went, yeah. She's like, get a job. And you were like, oh, hi, X. Yeah. I mean, girlfriend. Yeah, exactly. You yeah. got to know you. And, and it's funny. Like, I'd say that I, was, I probably went through the motions of considering it. But if I look back on it, it was never an option, you know, and that tells a lot about me, you know, because these were bad times, right? Like how going in every day, like negotiating with my landlord, like, you know, hey, we got to get a smaller spot. This isn't going to work. Owed everybody everything, you know what I mean? Those are not good times, 
You know what I mean? How do you how do you have any creative energy when you wake up in such a negative spot every day? And I'm sure someone's listening to this and going through this right now. Well, it is freaking tough. You, you know? fucking know it. Wouldn't yeah. it uh, wouldn't it be safe to say? I mean, at least from my experience, that the majority of what it has to do with for anybody in any job position or business position that it would really has to do with your attitude or outlook. Yeah. Because you can be in the best job, quote unquote, but be bitter because somebody else has it better. Yeah. Or you can be in the worst job and have a great outlook because, hey, I have something that a lot of people don't have and and those people get promoted and then you have the other people who are up there who are bitter complaining that they're getting promoted because they're not getting a shot. So uh, I see a lot of that having to do with attitude. So you could have been in a position yeah. where my company's failing this and now my friends are going to hate me and, and completely just spiraled down yeah. to... I'm glad you said that. This is, this is huge. I, and I, this, again, is not something I wrote, so I can't take credit for it, but it's huge. Attitude has the biggest impact on anything in life, right? It's the number one thing, right? Attitude is the multiplier, right, or the anchor. And attitude, by the way, is the only thing you have 100% control over. So it's both simultaneously the most important thing and the only thing you have control over. Yeah. So if you remember that, you're always in control, you know? Never out of your hands. There's two things that you were talking about I got to talk about now. Attitude is one of them. You guys could hear the papers ruffling. I was showing him that I had written attitude down. Got really excited about that. <laughs> I did. I was all happy. I was like, look, I'm smart, too. Yeah. Yeah. We all said attitude. Hooray. What? I wanted to give you a pat on the back, but you're across the table. That's why I made such a big table. No, but I want to go back to your attitude because, listen, I've talked to a lot of people and patients. And if you give them the opportunity to say, well, tell me about the dark times. We'd have been here two motherfucking hours with all the negative bad shit you had to walk through. And your motherfucking ass walked over the dark times in like <laughs> this is fucking seven seconds. Went right to the lessons, right? Right. Here's what I learned. <laughs> right, but, it, I, but that's part of it. You know what I mean? Because Assessment. you didn't dwell in the dark. Yeah. You didn't sit here. I mean, most people, when they get the opportunity to go, hey, man, I want you on this fucking podcast right now. Tell me the shit that you went through. And you were like, yeah, I lost everything. I owed everybody. Had to leave best friends. But I didn't give up. I was like, how how do you, you know, get a smaller space? And should I get a job? Nah, I'm not going to get a job. And I look back on it. That wasn't even a possibility. So let's go and build something different. Now, that's what I love. Because this brings me to the second part of it, all right? is this idea of a safe job. Mm -hmm. Okay, this motherfucker has been an entrepreneur forever. The first time I ever fucking clocked in is when I became a master of mental health counseling was fucking therapy. That's the only time I went, ding, ding, clocked the fuck in. Yeah. And that didn't last but two, three years, right? And then now I'm doing this shit. Yeah. But that same notion of clocking in. So this idea of what's really safe and what's not, because tell me somebody working for a bank 26 years in 2008 didn't get walked in and said, hey, I'm sorry, I know you've been here 30 years, but uh, you're gone. Is there really a safe and your job? is gone. <laughs> yeah. Is there a safe job really versus what you and I do and what these entrepreneurs out there are doing? I talk about that all the time. Um, our parents, the generation they were from, were sold. You know, do it the right way. 
right? And there was a time. 40, 40, 40 plan. There was a time in America, the 70s, you know, I don't know exactly when, but I just know before my time, there was a Baby time. Boomers. Yeah. When, you know, there was so much wealth, right? It was like working at Google now or, you know, Apple now, where the corporations were all making so much money. They're still doing it today. There's just not as many of them, right? And, and they're keeping it all. Yeah. And they're looking for, well, we have, well. we have, well, not only that, I'll tell you this, though. I will say this. They're not. If not you're working well. at Apple, you're working yeah. at Google, and you know what you're doing, you're making a, you're making a lot of money. They're sharing the wealth. Yeah. Here's the thing. Those people. Yeah. Today we have robots. Today we have software. And people get pissed about that, right? From 40 course. years ago, if you had a pulse, you were valuable, and I had to pay you a bunch of money, right? Today, it is survival of the fittest. I mean, this is... This is Darwinism all the way in the workplace, you know, and as an employer, I'll say this. So there are people that are still getting paid that. They're still living the dream of our parents. Go get a job. It's safe. But they're bringing that shitload to the table. They're not just showing up and saying, I got a pulse and I'm checking in and I'm here to work on the factory because we've automated all that stuff, right? So the people that have found a way to make them valuable still get to do that. For everybody else, you know, you got one boss. Well, look, it happened to you. So, look, I could sit here because you started playing one of those, like, strings in my thing when you're, like, the competitive society, this stuff. Yeah. I'm, I'm uh, Yes and no. From a business yeah. standpoint, it could be. But if we shared knowledge, we could possibly grow more and yeah. expand and grow more. But but whew, to rewind back, though, yeah. sorry, you were talking about the, that, that safe idea. Hold on. Refresh me back, man. I, I started to go to left. The idea of a safe job being a, you know. Just not there anymore, like it used to be. Right, the competition. Uh, this is the what baby. Happened. We were talking about the baby boomers, yeah. and I read the, everybody was sold the plan. I call it the forty 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 plan. Yeah. Right. They're, they sold you. Hey, if you work forty hours a week for forty years of your life, you can retire on the forty percent of what you couldn't afford to live off of in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. How's that working out? But that competitive market. That I got it. The competitive. I'm all for the innovation. I, I watched this documentary. There's this fucking 3D printer they're going to have soon that prints a fucking house in a day. And yeah. lasts 90% longer and costs 90% less. Now, wait till the, and there, there's rails that they run down and this yeah. machine stops, makes the fucking house and moves. By the way, quick sidebar, and I want you to finish this. I was at a conference this weekend and they were talking about, the, like, this guy was like, 3D printing is going to change everything. And I had that spark in me. When I learned, when I went to Barnes & Noble University and taught myself web design, and I said, I don't know a fucking thing about 3D printing, right? And I was like, I'm going to fucking go buy a bunch of books and learn a bunch about 3D printing because I don't want to not know this important thing. So anyway, that same, like, you know, spark lit off in me, and I was going to go figure this stuff out. So go back to your story. Yeah, it's this fucking pen and paper. Yeah. But, dude, I want to say the people listening, right, they may have heard you when you say survival of the fittest in business and may see that as harsh. But it happened to you mm-hmm. at 21 when the first initial web design was all of a sudden out of date. Yeah. What'd you say? In one day, you were obsolete. That's it. Yeah. But hold on. That happened to you twice. Oh, it's happening all the time. You were in Munich? It's going to happen to everyone all what the time. What day is it? Yeah. So for those of you that are listening, yeah. you hear survival of the fittest, you can't act like the man sitting in front of me has not had everything taken away from him twice. And the whole idea, and still rebuilt on the idea from yeah. 21 up until the dot-com sure. bust. But Looking he, forward to the he, next one. He rebuilt, but he didn't rebuild the same thing. Right. Because you can't. You, you adapt. But that's what a lot of people try to do. They try to do the... But that's what the, we were speaking I, of. Is the, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over yeah. and over again, expecting a different result. Right, and that's what we're speaking of, is that that idea of the safe life doesn't adapt 
to what the culture now brings today. You can't be romantic and nostalgic about what used to work, right? You can't be in. You can't be oh, yeah. a a pissed off artist about your job that went away. You can. You just won't go anywhere. Yeah. No, I mean, listen, <laughs> you can be whatever you want to. You can do anything you want. Don't steal a, Don't yeah. steal my pissed off artist. Yeah. Here. You know, like <laughs> this is what this is. I'm trying not to use the word can't anymore. So every time I use the word can't, I change this from this arm to this arm because I'm trying to train myself never to use the word can't. The mental trick. Can't never. The limiting word. So I said you can't do that, and you caught me on it. So I haven't moved that in like nine days, and you just caught me. Ha ha. So sure. you're right. There's some <laughs> artist out there that's going to have an audience that agrees with him, and he's probably going to write a book and make it dollars. But in general, it's a, I feel like it's a bad idea to be nostalgic, romantic. This is the way it was. I got my typewriter. Like I'm pissed at all you kids with your cell check. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Right. Like, calculators. Yeah. Exactly. Now, I saw a challenge, Jeremy. Yes. You said nine days since you moved that? Yeah. Roughly. I don't think I did, but it feels like nine days. I've been and all you've got to do is i got to make you say can't? That's it. How much longer have we got on the podcast, Steve? Get the hell out of me. I'm on the other side of the computer. Yeah, who gives a fuck? Yeah. The bigger challenge, but think about what I just said. That's real, though. How many people just use the word can't all day long? I have a conversation oh with people. Oh, my God, with that This is what they say, and I'm going to use it in paraphrase because I'm not going to change the phrase, but, oh, that's amazing that you're your own company. I can't do that because I have kids. I can't do that because of this. I can't do this because of that. That's all they say constantly to me. Tell them, man. I'm with you, man. You know, I, I call those words determinant words in the book, actually. Yeah. They speak to irrational thinking, right? And so the words that we use actually populate pictures and create feelings, right? I like to tell people you never just words have a matter. fucking... We said that early in the podcast. Words my, matter. My man. And it's true. And so those words that you choose to use, you know, so dropping words like always, never, all the time, these things Absolutely. are irrational. Yeah. Right? They're irrational. And determinate words is how I phrase them. And this is where I don't get a smart. fancy word. Is this where I get smart? This is where you start using smart words. <laughs> it's true though. And but that tone is true. You know how you talk to yourself and the words you choose to. Um, it's gonna squeak loud, isn't it? All right, good. <laughs> hey, that chair's got history. Yeah. That'll never leave his house. And thank you, Leo. Because you can't fit it out the door. <laughs> thank you, Leo, for the chair. You make kids in that chair. <laughs> Not that he knows of. <laughs> <laughs> Not for sure that's where I was going. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but the, the can't dialogue, but the way you train the behavior like that, this shit is serious. That shit really yeah. helps because when you modify how you talk to yourself, right, and uh, how the dialogue you choose is is key on how we feel, right? Because I tell people you, you don't just feel something. You have a thought that creates the feeling. Yeah. And so simple words like can't, automatically populate a feeling indirectly so as i may joke about the fun shit that shit's real yeah totally and the reason i chose that word is because as soon as you as soon as most people say the word can't they shut off everything they've made a decision they made a million decisions without even realizing it and they move on to the next thing i don't remember where i heard that word yet but i just said i get it i'm in meetings all the time and people say why don't we do this and i think well we can't do that because of, you know whatever and i was like no oh. like my whole life isn't built on cans. Not cans, you know? You gotta stop that stuff. That's right. It seems like every shit thing that happened to you actually was the silver lining that was the best thing for you. 100%. Well, I mean, that yeah. kind of goes back to some of the talks that we've had before. It's, it's all about perspective. Everything looks horrible for the person with the bad attitude. Yeah. But everything yeah. looks great for we the all, person with the positive attitude. We all should say attitude again at once. Attitude, we're all smart. Attitude, we're smart, yay, hooray. But, yeah, if you have a positive attitude, then 
business closing down, all right, that wasn't sure. their business. Yeah. Obviously, because it, if it was, it would still be good. I so pissed I a lot of people off with of my attitude. I'll be honest with you. Like, I, I have a, an attitude approach that literally pisses people off. Like, so I'll put it out there. When someone I know, like, loses someone important to them, I'll say, how lucky were you to have that person that makes you this upset that they're gone? That pisses people off. You know what I mean? Because that person is gone. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but that's, I can't help it. That's literally the way I'm approaching it from. If yeah. you're this upset about losing something, you clearly had something that was amazing that other people don't have. So why yeah. are you pissed about that? Why aren't you grateful for what you had? Can I hire you to sell my book, please? <laughs> I, I'm going to hire I'm in. Jer are you in? I'm in. Because now you're talking You can find me on Fiverr under Jeremy Pound. Uh, <laughs> I got 450 Yeah. Another <laughs> 50 cents. You're like a old. You're the master of the silver lining, my brother. I, I, that's not a terrible thing to be, right? Right. That's yeah. what I call it in the book. You I can mean, get better, you can get better. It, but it's finding that silver lining, man. I mean, yeah. I, so I, I'm going to tell you, what would you tell that person that was you either at 17 when you were be, your skills became obsolete sure. or in 08 when the, bomb, when the bomb made everybody broke? Yeah. And nobody still went to jail, motherfuckers. Um, Let's feel. Who are you talking to right there? <laughs> All the bankers that didn't go to jail for making our companies go out of business. Oh, you're talking about the ones in America. Yeah. Got it. Those, you know. What would you tell that person that may be sitting there? Listen to this podcast right now because that's the only way they can pull confidence or experiences mm -hmm. and ideas. You know, that maybe has fucking lost everything or sure. who's, you know, uh, in their ear is saying, get the safe job, right? Check in. Sure. It's going to speak to what drives you. And in a way, you know, my questions are long-winded. What I have no you idea what you're talking about right now. Me either. And what would you tell that person or that person sitting there or the young one that's thinking about it and match that to what your actual life philosophy is for me, man? That's a big question. Fuck yeah. That was like 14 minutes long. Yeah, no, but it was, it was big. So I don't want to answer, you know, I don't want to be cavalier and just throw something out there. I want to reflect on that. Cognitive rampage, my yeah. baby. You know, perspective is powerful. Um, perspective is a tool that we all have that we few of us use, you know? So my lost my business, right? Looked around, I'm like, what do I have? I have like, you know, two thousand and eight, I lost my company. I have a hundred relationships with amazing potential employees. I have fifty relationships with past clients, you know? I've done this before. I'm few people have the knowledge I have of what I've been through. I just learned a shitload of lessons of how to really build a company that I call the house of cards. I'll never do that again, right? So that's it. Like, I didn't lose any limbs. You know what I mean? Like, still going to get to wake up the next day and do it. You know, the majority of amazing companies are started in recessions. Google was started in recession. Apple was, right? So, you know, those are two easy examples. So that's it. It's the same reality for me as it was for the person who's just like who, the other version of Jeremy, we're just like, this fucking sucks. You know what I mean? Everyone thinks I'm a failure, which is, you know, all the self-talk we do. We're not even getting into that, right? You know, my company was my identity. I told you that. So you got to see people. How are you? You're the guy that has the amazing company. You hire more people? No, I had to lay everybody off. I'm starting the second thing, right? It's really freaking tough conversations. But I'd much rather have those conversations, right? If you approach it, so... We all know about, like, the 10,000 hours of practice. You ever heard about that? Like, it takes 10,000 hours of practice to be great. Like, you get it. So the process is the way. 
You know, this is a very stoic philosophy kind of thing. You're coming like Ryan Holiday. Ryan Holiday. Thank you. I was like, I was like, Ryan, something, and you just said it for me. Uh, what's the book? The Obstacle is the Way. The Obstacle is the Way. That's on the shelf out there, too. Awesome. So, this it's funny. when You you know when you read a book, Adam, you probably do, like you read this book and you're like, he just said what I've been feeling, what I've been thinking, what I've been living my life by, but he just put a bow around it. And I'm so thankful because now I can explain to somebody else. I couldn't do it before because it was too abstract. So when I read Ryan Holiday's thing, the obstacle is the way. Every day you're in the grind. Every day you're practicing. Every day you're practicing three hours on saxophone. is a day that you're in the game, and there's no shortcut. And so every minute you're trying to find a way around that, you're just talking yourself out of the game. You gotta, you know. So if you know the obstacle is the way, if you know the pain is part of the process, why not choose to accept it? as something that's exciting rather than something, yeah, I just totally... <laughs> you, you see what Roxy does? That's pug. That's yeah. my pug. That was yeah. not... That I promised that Jeremy was totally not part of it. <laughs> this would be excuse to use this for everybody. Becca, was that Can you say that's what she does when someone says something really profound? It does. Yeah. Every Well, she listens to the Cognitive Rampage. Yeah. If Roxy could talk, she's been in the chair, too. <laughs> but, I mean, you're, you're... I love that, man. And that notion of seeing the obstacle as being that pattern. If, if you could for a moment imagine whoever's listening to this right now is really maybe you when you lost it all each time and if you could speak to them imagine my ugly ass in here anybody else and and talk to that person that may have just lost everything is having those awkward conversations about the business they lost or maybe they had to give in and go back to the safe job for a while what would you directly tell them if you could for me you know this is really well established in the startup community. You know, it, it's like a fun joke that I would say. The amazing companies that that break through always talk about how great it was on the way up, right? But what do you do when you start a company? Everyone's like, it's going to be so great when we get to the point, right? When we finally break through, it's going to be so great. But then you interview the people that broke through, and they're like, I wish I was in your shoes, you know? I remember how great it was on the way up. So if you hear that story and you think about it, enjoy the ride. You know what I mean? Just know that that's part of the process. Like, if you're failing, then the people that came before you were failing too, right? But they didn't give up. And so the number one thing that I've, like, taken away from this whole thing is that when you're failing, you start hedging your bets, right? When things get hard, you're like, well, I'll do it, but I'll also do this thing, right? And but the biggest mistake I've made of my life, of my career, is doing stuff halfway, having the, the mental speed brake on, right? Like in your car, when you pull in the, the, the parking brake, have the parking brake on. I'm going to freaking do this thing. I'm going to do this amazing, bold thing, but I'm only going to do it, you know, so way. So, you know, take the speed brake off, do it 100%. If you really believe in it, if you choose, and you're not having shiny object syndrome, and you're doing like 100 things, but when you really find your passion, you want to do the one thing you want to do, turn the speed brake off, and freaking do it, 100%, 120%, because it's going to take you five years if you do it at 50%. It's going to take you like a year and a half if you do it at 100%. So go all in. Yeah. As simple as that. And it's hard. I say it's as simple as that. It's when you, hard. When you uh, mentioned the enjoying the journey, it made me think of that John Lennon quote, uh, life is what happens when you're busy making other plans. Yeah. Because if you're too busy planning for the future, you miss everything that's happened. All the way. Yeah. Every day. Dude, think about your life as a movie, right? Think about you being Steve Jobs, getting a chance to watch the Steve Jobs movie. 
you're more excited about the parts from the beginning where things were almost falling apart and you somehow figured it out than you are when you were riding off into the sunset. So you gotta enjoy it. Yeah. Enjoying the adversity though. I mean I wrote, it. Well you wrote down adversity equals creation, right? And that's what I wrote down, right? So that's what I hear you speaking when you're talking about those dark times of sitting there, right? I've heard and read articles about how it's almost better that if you don't have investors in startup money because as you build something, you know what? I read that somewhere, but I swear to God, we were in a meeting one day mm-hmm. and you may have mentioned that when we were, that's fucking weird. Yeah. But anyway, it's weird on my memory. will come back. Deja vu. And, but it's true though is, it's taken how adversity equals creation or the idea that there's tons of people out there that have that, like, like you said, the song's still written in them. You know, they're sitting there with... I found that quote, by the way. Who was it? Who said that? Uh, the quote is from Dr. Wayne W. Dyer. Oh, Wayne, Wayne Dyer, Dyer, of course. Yes. It says, don't die with, the mu- with your music still inside you. Listen to your intu- intuitive inner voice and find that find what passion stirs your soul. Listen to that inner voice and don't get to the end of your life and say... What if my whole life has been wrong? Yeah, who was it that said, now you got to look up another one, is the unexamined life is not worth living. That's one of my favorite quotes. Yeah. You know, and to me, examining your life means, I don't know, almost embracing the adversity, like you said, embracing the dark times, the falls, right? Knowing, you know, all of this is pointing back to something that you believe, right? We started the podcast talking about, Starting your company with the why and the Simon Sinek, right? Mm-hmm. And the belief in it. And so it's the adversity of the creation. What I hear coming from you, man, this whole time I'm sitting with you, Jeremy, is y- your perspective and your perception motivates you even in the downfall. Your perception of something and allowing that adversity because it's, it's created new companies or a building type company for you each time. And... I, I, I don't know. I, I like hearing that motivation. I think that's a message that I really want people to get from you. You know, I think it comes so natural to you that you may not even realize it. It's that idea of your perspective is always, ah, shit went fucked. There's some good shit here, mm-hmm. right? And, and, being great, and being creative. So to all those people with that idea or that story, you know, that are afraid to take that chance, you know, I want them to take away the, that from you. Yeah. You know, that idea is that the adversity will create something special yeah the, the messy ride is what it's all about it's not going to be any fun if it works out all the way and you well, had to start with that way in day one if everything was peaches and roses all the time you wouldn't appreciate the peaches and roses there'd be no contrast in life right yeah well the uh, quote from the unexamined life is not worth living is from socrates Ooh, all the Socrates. Bill and, Bill and yeah. Ted's. Anybody? So Socrates. Great. Sounds like Socrates. Eh? <laughs> did you just reference a I fucking did. Bill and Ted? I look in the wind. So it, it's Socrates. Yeah, look it up under Socrates. <laughs> and then you did a fucking Keanu Reeves impression. Yeah, man. Who's the, you know the, uh, what's the guy? Fuck, I am such an asshole. I don't know. My Dunbar number must be through my fucking roof because I can't remember anybody. I didn't even know what the, the Dunbar number was. Who was Ted again? Which Keanu one? Reeves. Oh, no. Ted was Keanu Reeves? Phyllis Preston. Ted Theodore Logan. Roosevelt. No. <laughs> Theodore Roosevelt. Ted Theodore Logan is uh, Keanu Reeves. Right. All right. Ted. So the other guy then, Phyllis Bill. Phyllis Preston, Esquire. What's He's his real name? Dude. I have no idea. He That's has the made, that nobody knows. He has made some fucking films, dude. Has he? Holy yeah. shit. He is a documentary filmmaker out of this fucking I world. I know that. Yeah. Yeah. I would. We could have done without The Matrix. I would much rather keep Bill. All right. 
Yeah, and I jumped to the call. I was like, no one knows who that guy is, but he clearly do. Dude, he's the fucking man. That's awesome. And, um, I, I mean, we're getting into the film and the documentary now. Alex Winter. That's it. Alex Winter. Joe Rogan had him on, too. Cool. Um, I definitely suggest that show. But Alex Winter really took an activist approach in what he's doing. Look up the documentary that is. Now that I've talked this far about it, man. Um, but he's one of those guys that really speaks to this notion and the attitude, you know, of taking a purpose that was found in a way he structured his life, given some of influence he had from Hollywood. And you want to take, fuck it, take Bill and Ted, right? And you take Keanu, who takes his power in something in a different direction. And then you look at, Win, you know, Alex Winters, who takes this same idea and runs with it in a different direction. Yeah. You find this passion. In the one way that we talk about. Yeah, man. It's, it's a hell of a documentary, man. And But it's kind of like that that influenced me, you know, that can roll with the punches, right? Who can be Bill on one of the fucking cheesiest fucking movies, yeah. right? And then turn himself into into that. How many? He's got a bunch, right? I don't know. How many? These are all just his films. I don't know if he's the did a documentary on it or if these are actual films. But the one in there was one in two thousand thirteen called Downloaded. That yeah, that's probably the most recent Grand Piano. Oh no. Uh, they, they're all Deep, Deep Web is two thousand fifteen. Yeah, there's the one the most recent. Yeah, that I mean he's serious dude, but I mean but these are just examples. We're fucking talking about Bill and Ted. Jeremy, did you think you were gonna talk Bill and Ted? I was not prepared for this. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, filmmaker Alex Winter interviews the people behind the deep web and Bitcoin. That's what. Uh, that's deep the most recent one. So you, I said to you before, I said, you know, what I love about these podcasts is that every time I listen to one, it's a rabbit hole, and then I discover someone new, and I start consuming their content, and I become like a little girl with like a new boy band, and I want to read everything they freaking do, and like I'm a deep person, like you know what I mean? Like I've always prided myself on that. When I learn something, I'm like, I want to go all the way in, you know, and I go at it. And then now here we are, and I didn't know Alex Webb did this stuff, so yeah, Alex better Webb. believe you're gonna be getting text messages every like a week, and be like, "Holy shit, I watched the whole thing!" I'm like, "I watched everything he's done, and this is amazing." Watch, you're gonna what yeah, you will. Yeah, I will. I totally will. <laughs> I'm binging on Bill. Yeah, <laughs> haven't been to work in a week. <laughs> <laughs> well, but that's that's one of the benefits of being an entrepreneur yeah. is that you can go. I'm not working this yeah. week. Just don't go to Munich. Uh, well, whatever I tell my staff now, they're not going to believe because they're like, you're at home watching Netflix. Heard the podcast. <laughs> we, we heard you on the Cognitive yeah, Rampage. Yeah. <laughs> you already blew your own yeah. cover. <laughs> oh, man. I love talking to you, dog. This is fun. This is a great time. You don't have to be anywhere, do you? I came. I drove all the way up for this, man. This is it. Yeah? Every other, every, I told her on the way, every podcast I've ever been a part of, they're on the phone, like they're on Skype, you know? And you're Thank like, you. come up. Come up and start. let's do some drinking. <laughs> That's not well. I mean, for me, look, I, I can't lie. I would sit here and lie that Joe Rogan was an inspiration for how and what I'm doing, in a in a point to its freestyleness. Yeah, you know, um, there's things I like about individual shows like that, but I think even from a therapeutic standpoint, from a conversation standpoint, I mean, fuck, from an interview standpoint, right? You're talking to somebody that's trying to put on the please hire me face. Yeah. Right. And you're trying to match these values and the idea. And I think preparation can be good for certain things, but I think you you miss the person, mm-hmm. right? You miss the story and the person of everything. Yeah. And that's the door squeaking and my beautiful wife coming in. My love. Oh, God, I love you. Isn't she fucking awesome? Grab a seat, honey. You can join the podcast anytime. And hello. I love her voice on the podcast. <laughs> I play it at night when no one's watching. <laughs> I'm kidding. Good to know. The podcast, right? You play you play with the podcast. 
<laughs> when nobody. Okay, never mind. What the fuck? Different tangent. You were, you were talking about getting to know the real people. Bro, well, that freestyle chance to get to yeah. know the real people. If I came in here and I, listen, <clears throat> I have a CEO who's 36 who knows his shit, who has blogs, books, and will make your podcast better before he leaves here. You uh, can be wealthy at the end of this podcast. Tune in. <laughs> right. I can pitch this notion, right? But that's, I, I wanted, you know, I, I wanted the people to know Jeremy and that idea because truly behind a lot of these Twitter facade speeches and talks that I give, you give, uh, we all give at a certain yeah. point, there's a real person behind what's really happening. Yeah. You know, people could get lost in the juicy bit. Sure. We talked about your juicy bits, honey. And we, we, we didn't talk about your juicy bits. We talked about the conversation. <laughs> it was the first hour of the podcast. Don't talk about my juicy bits on air. <laughs> Just Jeremy. And no, and what the fuck? <laughs> you may have to edit this shit part out, man. I just got lost. That was funny. no. I, I think it's. I think it's uh, safe to say that it is. People can easily get caught up on the fact that they think it's a a blueprint on this is how you get. Famous. Oh, this guy, yeah. he, he made it, so if I follow exactly what he did. Sure. And to some aspect, you know, that's where mentorship comes in is I don't think you really learn A, B equals C. I yeah. think you learn the attitude. You learn the, oh, you just keep doing it. Oh, yeah. you failed. And I, I, you, you you know, I want to keep talking about that facade because it's part, the bro. Per, it's the person. Well, the facade part, because, look, I'm, I don't know, I'm, I'm going to just say it. There's a lot of people out there that can form this from Twitter to Facebook, to this idea of this entrepreneur motivator person, right? Mm -hmm. And there's what? How many articles and podcasts are there about forming that identity in this person, right? The majority of the web, right? Thank you. And so when I do this kind of thing, I wanted to be able to sit down with you and really get those adversity stories. Yeah. You know, the, the, the shit you went through that made the actual creation of it because that's what makes you real. The message stuff is, you know, the, the stuff that's important to share, right? Because I'm a big believer in this. You know, if you if you want to be successful, you study successful people, right? If you want to be healthy, you study healthy people. It's one of the biggest things that I feel, you know, the, the whole medical community has wrong is they spend a lot of time studying sick people. But you should be studying healthy people, finding out how to be healthy, right? You study successful people trying to be successful. Well, there's so, a ARNP now in the room. Yeah. I know. I'm knocking out of my, my, I'm punching above my weight here. Sorry. Would you like to address that? I think that's a beautiful notion, by the way. The concept. You need the contrast. You need the contrast to yes. know why somebody is sick. But the medical community definitely spends a lot of time studying sick people and not enough time studying why people are well. Yeah. Isn't so, that what we experiment on animals for, though? <laughs> like, oh, this, this rat was fine. Oh, nope, now it's dead. Oh, well. Yeah, well, we've already sold the drug to a thousand people. <laughs> oh, well. It's a bad quarter. We can't tell anybody about this. Possible side effects may include rat hair. <laughs> but, yeah, so I was going to say is that you study successful people without real uh, – this is why – or so you study successful people from afar, right, when they're already successful. And That's because they have restraining orders. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you're on a fucking roll right now, Steve. Right. I'm hopped up on water. <laughs> That's true. You're so you, you only remember the successful stuff. You know, you only remember the well, end part. Like the, the, but you know, don't you, you notice, hear all the problems. Don't you notice the successful? There's a the theme with the successful people. Once you start studying successful people, that you find it is their attitude. It's yeah. 
they're well, sick but you always hear that they've been through what is crazy shit. That's the part of it. So when you when you meet ten successful people, you read about another fifty successful people, and the 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 sixty out of sixty common denominator is how much they failed and how many problems they've been through. Why are you so pissed off when you fail? Right? Exactly. They all failed. So why are you taking it so personal? It's part of the process. You if know? you don't fail, there's no chance of succeeding. Yeah, and I'm not saying be apathetic about what you do, not holding yourself to, like, a higher standard, not not trying to avoid failure, not trying to learn from it. But why are you pissed at yourself? Why do you give up, you know? This is a Gary Vee line that I'll sell, Gary Vaynerchuk. And he says all the time, if you're going to – if you found the thing that you want to spend the rest of your life doing, why are you giving up when it doesn't work after four months, you know? Like, yeah. it's way too early to be giving up on something that you really care about. Well, what was the quote? I'm not an avid fan of Thomas Jefferson, but one of the quotes about him is, "I didn't invent the, I didn't invent one way to create a light bulb. I invented a hundred ways to not create it." Yeah, Edison. Yeah, Jefferson was. He's a thief, Edison. Thomas Jefferson. He was exactly. He's all the way. Listen, this is a a temporary thing. You know, we were talking about earlier. Like he, he thought to bring that up. Virtual mentors. You do it. Oh, you're going to let me do it? Yeah, you oh, do it. Oh, what's your podcast? I love this I get you can talk. I've got your name on it. You it you're it smarter than me, though. You make it sound better. You, you, do, you do it, and then I'll do it better. All right. <laughs> right. You do it first. Then and then I'll, I'll edit it in the one that sounds best. <laughs> and then you edit the best. Well, you're talking about virtual mentors. Yeah. That idea of studying from afar. You know, I actually quote Tim Ferriss in my book of yeah. talking about that idea of a virtual mentor, not a virtual stalker. You, not like you reference. I'm talking about virtual. <laughs> But it's true. Put, you were talking about putting yourself around successful people and how much of that will influence what it is. I'm going to go left field, dude. Because of 17, 19, yeah. you were talking about Barnes and Noble, Barnes and Noble University. Well, what people were you putting yourself around at that time? Uh, I've always been starstruck by what I thought were successful people, you know. And I and I've always done that. And it was funny, like I've already known that. Like I see someone they were successful, and I met them. And I joked earlier about being like a teenage girl around boy bands, like, when I find, you know, I love that stuff. Like, if I, you know, like, they're, hey, this is the person in my community that's probably the most successful person, and I get a chance to meet them. And, like, I never took that for granted. I get excited about that. And, of course, you learn over time, they both, they put their pants on one leg at a time, right? Which is, you know, the, the analogy everybody uses. And it makes you feel like, well, if this person can do it, I can do it. So two things happen when you put, you around success, when you put yourself around successful people over and over again. One, you learn that they're just like you, and two, you learn that they're not just like you. They got some different habits. They're doing a couple things different, and then you just got to key in on that stuff, right? So you build confidence by putting yourself around successful people because we are the average of our surroundings, right? So if you're around a bunch of people that complain all the time, that eat Taco Bell every day, you know what I mean, that are just doing all the things that you don't want to do in your life, you're going to fall into those habits, right? Put I like how you around. threw all the things you don't want to do in your life and Taco yeah. Bell. Was that was just an analogy. It came yeah, to mind. But it, it's in there. It's in there. <laughs> things yeah. you don't want to do with your life. Eat Taco Bell. I got it. <laughs> Every day. It's okay to eat it once a while. I'm just saying, you know what I mean? Like, you get it, yeah. So I would say the reason I was able to launch my business. Okay, so I was like, you know, 19, running this apartment. I was still surrounded by my, like, college buddies. We were still going out drinking all the time. You know, you're 19 years old. It was no problem for me to be out and close the bars at 2 and then, like, you know, get home at 4, sleep, take an hour nap, shower, and be at work at 8 and be on my game. Because you can do that when you're 19. You know what I mean? Yeah. But that was preventing me from really going to the next level. And then when I got the job and it brought me away from there, I had to move to a town where I knew nobody. I was forced to create better habits. 
you know? So I'm a big believer. Well, Examine were, the were people you in your life. to create better habits, or did you just create better habits? Well, I just did. But, okay, so I, I wasn't forced. I, the habits that were being forced on me were taken away, which created a vacuum, which allowed me to create the habits I always wanted to create, mm. you know? So just examine the people in your life. Like, you are the average of the people around you. There's a study on that. Most people you meet, if you if you could do this, which is hard to do, and you could take the income or the, the, the um, you know, the, uh, what do they call it, like your overall value, like your net worth. Take the net worth of the five people you spend the most time with. Almost everybody is the average of those five people. Unless you're just one of those crazy drivers that always outdoes everybody and sets the bar, you know? Most of us are just the average of our five closest people. Yeah, what we yeah. eat, what we do, all our habits. So be aware of that stuff. Put yourself around the right people. What was one of the first influential people for you? I mean, at 17, 19, going into, I mean, you're talking to 79-year-old paper owners and, you know, 40-year-old journalists, uh, and you're at 19 going, well, boss says I got the floor. Yeah. I mean, who are the people around you at that time? I mean, we've covered a few, like yeah. Stoics and, you know, and, and uh, Ryan Holland. I found those later, you know what I mean? Right. But, but, I, but, grew but up, then. I grew up in a household of two entrepreneurs, my mom and my dad, which has got a profound effect on me, right? So even though they, they always kind of, you know, supported, all right, this is the plan, you're going to do this, and, you know, they, they're never – one of my life, we talk about the values all the time. One of the values I have in my life is maverick. Maverick is a very important word for me. You know, I don't like doing it the way other people have done it. So my parents weren't that way. My parents are very like, let's do it like everybody else. But they were entrepreneurs, you know, and they both had their own companies, so they weren't really doing it like anybody else. But they wanted me to fit in, and so they would encourage me to do that stuff. So I always knew it was possible. I was always surrounded by it. So that was the, that was the first influence. And I think the fact that, you know, I was born at a, a weird time where I was um, I was a surprise. You know, my parents, like, I was kind of in between generations. Everybody was, like, either 10 years older than me or 10 years younger than me. I always spent time with people that were much older than me, right? So that probably advanced my maturity, and I just was around these things. And so it was no problem for me to just be talking to adults all the time. And, of course, I was 17 and thought I could raise money for a dot-com that you're playing because, like, it just, no one ever told me I couldn't. You know what I mean? So, like, I didn't know any better. You, you know what my first venture was? What? I love early I, entrepreneur stories. Yeah. Well, my first venture, uh, I think the statute of limitations has run out on this. Um, I was eight years old. And I think I, you're safe. All right. All right. I learned that you could knock on the neighbor's door and simply tell them you were collecting money for the hungry and they'd <laughs> give it to you. Well. Who would give an eight-year-old money at the door? I guess it was a different time. Hold I'd be on. like, you get yeah. away from my house. Well, I still don't think I'd be that skeptical if it was an eight-year-old. I'd be like, well, here you go. You haven't heard me talk. Okay. So I go around, and I collect almost $200 in two days from my neighborhood. Nice. I I mean, I was the hungry motherfucker, you yeah. know what I mean? But no. I wasn't lying. <laughs> right, but no. I get caught because my father's talking to a neighbor, and the neighbor goes, you know, it was really sweet that your son was collecting was money for those people. And my dad goes, what the fuck? And I, man, and I had saved some money. I had slowly bought candy, right? I didn't go and blow it because I didn't want to get caught, right? And yeah. so I would buy like an extra two or three blow pops when I would get out off of baseball practice. And then that, that's why I kept it low key, right? Dash. That was my dash. Accumulate. Yeah, it wasn't good, man. That was, that was so my eight year old hustling neighbors buying blow. 
This is the original blow. The original blow. Not a good outcome for you, Adam. I don't (laughs) see good things in your your future. A hustling, a hustler buying blow. That's not good. I got through that life. You did. Now you're on the outside. Yeah, I got through that fucking life. I feel like most entrepreneurs I meet have some story like that when they were kids. So, so here's mine. It's really funny. And I was like, my parents had like cart friends over for, to play cards like twice a week, you know, like Tuesdays and Thursdays probably. And they always brought over like eight other, you know, four other couples or whatever it was. There were like eight people in the house. So they would always be like, all right, just play in your room and, you know, stay out of our way for a while, you know, and they would do their thing. And so I was pretty creative and I was like, well, I can put on a puppet show. And I was like, you know, when you put on a puppet show, you should charge for tickets. You know, I'm probably like five, six years old. So I was like, Mom, you know, and of course the details are a little blurry. Like, what time does everyone come over? And like, about seven. And, you know, this was a punctual group. They all kind of came and showed at the same time. So I had one of those little, like, school desks that reminds me of, like, peanuts, where it's like the desk and the chair are one piece, and you can, like, pick it up and carry it, and the desk, like, lifts up, you know? So I carry my little desk to, like, the atrium, like, the entryway to the place, and I set it up. I'm like, puppet show, $1. And as everyone walks in to, like, come see my parents, I'm selling them tickets to the puppet show. <laughs> so everyone obliges, and they make my $8. Nice. So I have all those little closets with, like, the wood folding doors. So I don't know how I did this as a kid, but, like, I dragged my dresser to the closet, and I folded the doors so that it was a stage of a dresser with like the thing. I did the puppet show behind it. And I put on this great puppet show. <laughs> and so each week, each time they came back, I would get more and more elaborate and I would be raising the prices until my parents eventually said, like, this is $10. $10. You're, you're taking over our card nights. And like everyone was like, what's he going to do this week? You know, and I was always like, there was something better, something better. And so there's all kinds of stories my parents will tell you, including my great grandmother's 90th birthday. We went to Indiana. And it was at this retirement home, and the the rec center was on the second oh, floor. Don't tell me you hustled all the old people. I was. No, that would have been, offering, that been my business. We were offering a very valuable service. Uh, so we basically the elderly. We basically myself and my cousin, whose name was also Jeremy. So you know, a couple of years younger than me is very in, influenceable. They knew it right away. So I was like, hey, help me out with this. And so we decided to be the elevator boys and to help people go up. And we literally just had a little thing that says tips. You know, it wasn't anything. Like, it was just tips. And so people would get in, they're like, that's adorable. I'm like, what floor are you going to? There's two floors in this elevator, right? Like, what floor are you going to? We're very proper. It's probably like nine, you know? Is it two? And so, much like your story, my cover was blown. They were like, there's these two cute boys charging to ride the elevator. And my mom overheard it. She was like, I was having a conversation. And she was like, it's Jeremy. I know it. It's Jeremy. <laughs> Well, and sure enough, she got to the elevator, and there was our little tip jar. It's like it's like the moms know, right? My, yeah. my mom was late. She was always a hustler. She worked her ass off. You know, my mom's a hard fucking working woman, man. And she's eleven months from retirement. Finally, you know, she busted her ass from a fucking typist at the local county thing, typing in license plates to a fucking wow. She's the what a deputy county manager for Sarasota County. You know, she's so close to retirement, man. But she was always hustling, man, and busting her ass when I was young. And she was late getting me to school. And I was in third grade. I think she said it was Miss Clark's class or something, third or second grade. And she's late, and she's got to walk me into the office. And I said, Ma, don't worry about it. When they do the Pledge of Allegiance, they look to the right, and I can sneak into the class, and they'll never see me because she does roll after the pledge. I'll be fine. And my mom's like, she goes, I knew right then you're going to be the president of the United States or the super fucking villain. 
<laughs> That's a major observation to make of a kid. <laughs> but I was like, don't worry, Ma. You're stressing yourself. You're busting your ass. I got this. You and your beautiful polka dotted thing in the 80s, just go to work. I'm going to get in there. I remember when you were telling the story about buying the blow pops, you're like, I don't want to buy too much to give it away. I was just buying three after each one. You, you're a schemer. You know what I mean? I get it. You're a schemer. Well, I was an avid chess player. I was an avid chess player, and I play when I can. And I played a lot in elementary school and middle school, and I loved the game of chess. And, I mean, I was I played in some state tournaments, even at second grade, man. And James Rosenblum, okay, I'm putting this shit fucking out there. James Rosenblum, you listen to this podcast, and you're a friend of mine, and we talk on Facebook a lot, but we haven't spoken in probably 20 fucking years. Wow. Now. I hear a challenge. That's what I yes, feel. Yes. We played a chess game in fifth grade, my friend, and this man, Adam Lowry. Hold on. No, this was tournament rules. We played a chess game at Okoye Elementary School, and I was the, the school champion in fourth grade, going into fifth. Now, Adam Schoenfelter barely beat me in third grade, but he was a fifth grader. Otherwise, I'd have been the school champion third, fourth, and fifth grade. But in fifth grade, my best friend at the time, James Rosenblum, proceeds to sit in front of me, and we play a chess game for the final championship of the school. Now, I have taken his queen, and game is over. And he goes, hey, man, let's do a stalemate. We'll both get a ribbon. And I went, okay. And so we go to stalemate, and he checkmates me in six moves. Motherfucker. So, James, I love the fuck out of you, man. Wow. But you owe me a chess game. He was the true chess player. He got me. He was the true chess player. And, James, you owe me a game of chess, and we are going to play. I'm, so, I'm sorry I went back to fifth grade. Hey, it, the wound is open, I can tell. We were still open. Uh, uh, us counselors would call it unfinished business. <laughs> like that. Neck got tight. Mike got closer. He was calling somebody out. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to play chess. Back in fifth grade, you love son of a bitch. Love. I love that he was that strategic oh. at fifth grade to say that to you. Hey, you know? buddy. Hey, buddy. We we can do this. You and I. I was like, Ribbons all around. I was like, cool, man. I'll share the ribbon yeah. whatever with you. We're both boys. You're my friend. Yeah, we're boys. Motherfucker got me. Yeah. <laughs> well, James, I know you still live around here. I love the fuck out of you, bro. But come up and, and come play me on the Cognitive Rampage. Now, but the right turn. All right. How much, because technology is so random, right? You've spoken twice now to once the technology change, changes from how you used to develop websites to overnight you lose your skill. To I've even heard, I've read articles and arguments about SEO being obsolete. And you are definitely a uh, disagreement with that, right? 100%, yeah. Yeah, I would, I would agree with you. Yeah. And how much of that chess game, if you will, of life plays into technology? Because you're in a tricky field, man. I mean, yeah. that idea, like you said, overnight, one invention can make you obsolete. Sure. You know, how do you manage to keep up with that idea, right? You've already shown you can roll with the punches of anything. Yeah. I mean, that's amazing. And you come up with, you seem to get better with the more shit you go through, right? So we all. That's right. Yeah. So that argument to those people that think that SEO is obsolete or versus the idea of what you force, what's the chess game there, man? So, uh, everything I do in life, I'm a fundamental guy. Remember we talked about the company building? Mm -hmm. Starts with the values, right? I'm not talking about little tricks to get the right people. To, you know, I'm a fundamental guy. Same thing with SEO. I get really annoyed when I get in a room full of SEOs, and all they want to do is talk about this happened and this new trick, and because of that, 
And I'm just like, yeah, this stuff's important, but it's got to stem from the fundamentals, right? Google's a product, you know, I'll get a little techie on you. Like, Google has taken over our lives. Like, that's, why, that's why Steve's here. Yeah. I, I mean, we don't make any decisions on our own, like, without consulting the magic Google machine, as I joke all the time. Do you remember the time? You remember, by the way, you remember, like, 15 years ago, you go to your friends, and you'd have an argument over what year Big came out. Everybody would leave pissed off because they thought they were right. 1984. You got it. I used this in one of my presentations. That was nice, man. Uh, everyone gets an argument about who was the actress that was in Big, right? Who was the actress that was in Splash with Tom Hanks, you know? Do you know it? Hold on, hold on. Okay. Can, no, 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 no. So I'll let you think about that. Daryl Hannah. Nice job. Yeah. So there would be times where we go out to dinner, and we get a pissed off fight about that because you were sure that it was Kim Basinger and I was sure it was Daryl Hannah. We just have to go home angry at each other. Now you can Google everything. Like, it's just a different world. You know what I mean? Our saying on the show, actually, Steve brought it up on our first show. We actually argued something stupid like this for yeah. like 10 minutes. And then Steve gets all quiet. The podcast goes quiet. And Steve leans in and he goes, if we only had a device. And then everybody went, oh, shit. <laughs> like you said, man. It's just a new world. You know, everything we do is based on this stuff. Make better decisions. I remember a time negotiating for a car when the car dealer had the power because it could say, I'm the only guy with this car. This is what it's going for. And you can be like, really? Let's just see. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's such a liberating technology, the fact that we have it with us everywhere we go. So, yes, SEO matters, right? It's just not the tricks that people made a bunch of money doing. Like, the SEO guys are obsolete. SEO is not obsolete. So, I'm a fundamental guy. Like, what is Google trying to do? Google's a product. The day that you can get better information from the same effort on Bing, then Google starts losing, right? So they care. They care. They want you to get the best information. Their goal is literally for you to ask any question and get the answer in, in one click. And if you know that, then here's my whole SEO strategy, like to go way off topic. Just have the best fucking answer to the question that your customers are looking for, and you're going to win. Yes, there's some technical stuff that has to happen, but I'm not going to trick your BS content into coming up if you don't have great content. Have the best freaking answer for the question, and then I'll make you rank, right? That's the fundamental. So I'm a fundamental guy, you know what I mean? And so people always say, how do you keep up with it? Are you nervous? Everything's going to change all the time. And I'm like, no. Because in 2012 or 13, whenever, like, the panda penguin thing, you know, when those starts happen, everybody has horror stories about how I used to rank, I used to have all this business, and I was gone overnight. Educate the listeners. A lot of people aren't yeah, going to understand. that's pretty technical. So a lot of scammers were doing great. People were scamming the system. They were ranking. People that were following the rules like we were were not, were kind of being outranked by people that were taking shortcuts, you know, that were just really overdoing stuff. There was a friend of mine, dude. Well, we haven't talked in a long time, but this is, I think this is on topic. I don't mean to interrupt you, man. Cool. But what he would do is he would buy domain names yeah. and then build similar content in each of these domain names. Then he would sell a 1-800 number to, like, say, tires or soil, and he would get leads sent to them because yeah. he would SEO based on owning. Is that the shit you're talking about? So let me ask you this. Does that make Google a better product? Fuck no. Exactly. That's a trick. You know what I mean? So those people were winning for a little while, right? And while we were doing what, you know, was white hat, which, you know, is the term for doing the right thing, trying to create the right content, you know, we were always kind of below those people. People were out tricking us all the time. And when everybody talks about how Google changed everything and they're pissed at Google, I always smile. Because I'll never forget this one Thursday when I just came to work and we weren't doing anything out of the ordinary, no different advertising, and our phone just freaking rang off the hook. Because these updates hit 
And for all of the people that were doing the right things for so many years, we got shuffled to the top. We've been there ever since, right? So we had the thing that didn't get changed. We were rewarded for, you know, basically being fundamental, you know, doing the thing that helped humanity, that helped everybody, you know, not to be, you know, too grandiose about it. And so, yeah, so ever since we've been on the top, that's the shit we do for our clients, not the tricks, not the domains. People start talking about these tricks. I try to entertain them. I try to act like I'm interested, and I just could care less because it's not helping anybody. Fucking love it. So, oh, man, I hope everybody listening is really getting it. I mean, so what you're saying is the idea is there were so many unique cuts, shortcut ways to get your website pulled to a Google search based on a phrase that you can manipulate certain tags and bullshit things along the way to where it would bring up your bullshit content that really wasn't content rich. Like we're all really looking for, right? We all tend to click by the first bullshit. And so the way How mad are you, by the way, when you click on the first result and it's not what you want? How pissed are you? <laughs> right? right? Yeah. We, we, you're like, fuck. I don't, I, do. be the guy, I don't want to be the guy that's adding to your fucking animosity. You know, I don't want to be the guy yeah. pissing you off. I want to be the guy that gives you the answer that you want. So, and so your SEO, so when you're talking about the fundamentals of SEO, you're talking about actually providing rich content for the real person looking for it. I can sum it up in one sentence. Have the best answer for your customers' most important questions. Yeah, I I do graphic and web design as well, yeah. um, freelance stuff, and I would have all these people trying to do the same thing with, we, we need to get up there. And I said, you, you need content. You need to have information because without information, you just have come to our store. And if, they, and if they aren't looking for come to my store, they're not going to find you. Yeah. You need to have something that they want. And he's like, well, we got... You know, we, we're putting articles up, and, and we're getting tons of hits to the website. I'm like, yeah, but you are you have articles about things that people want to know, but those people are in Russia. You're in South Florida. Yeah. Yes, people are coming to your website. You're trying to turn those people into customers. You have to focus on sure. your area, your what it is that's going on. So when they search for that, they find you. Yeah, I, I think it's important because people throw around that SEO word a lot, yeah. you know, and don't really understand what search engine optimization really means. And I'm glad you could clarify that, man, because a lot of the articles that they're writing, they talk about these tricks, right? They talk about this slip. But the argument you put it in is so clear. Is the idea, you're right, I don't want to Google search something and find the guy who is smart enough to make me find his phone number. Yeah. You know, I'm going to find the doctor or the researcher who wrote what it was that I'm looking for. Totally. And that's what Juicy Results does. 100%. You've, you're back to the core of the fundamental. Yeah. <laughs> fundamental guy. I mean, that, that's, the, the, you know, that's what I come back to all the time. Learn the fundamentals. And in in my whole life, my whole company has been in, in an industry that's changing nonstop, right? We talked about tonight. I went in one day and I was like, my whole value as a professional personally was wiped clean in a day, like in you know 2005 or whatever it was. And it didn't matter because if I fundamentally know that I'm a great marketer, if I fundamentally know what we're trying to do for our clients, then the technology is just like a little blip on the radar. Like it's going to change. It's going to change all the time. The fundamentals are there forever, right? So my personal skill set, my little manifesto like we talked about before, is how do you really isolate the fundamentals that matter for decades or a century that won't change. Some of the best marketing lessons I've ever learned were written down in the 50s, haven't changed ever since. How do I take that, isolate that from the constant current that's the technology, that's the tactics, that's the zeitgeist, that everything is changing, the people? And how do you 
never let go of what's written in stone with what's always changing. If you can conquer both at the same time, like you win. That's the marketing game. So that's my that's my essence, like we were talking about. Oh, brother, tell everybody where to find you, man. Give you shout-outs. Give you Twitters, man. Give yeah, your love out right it. now. Jeremy Pound on Twitter, J-E-R-E-M-Y-P-O-U-N-D, pretty much on all social media channels. Um, find a lot of my writing on JuicyResults.com, J-U-I-C-Y, Results.com. And uh, the book that we have so far is The Bootstrapper's Guide to SEO. We literally took our training manual. We turned it into a book. Everything my company knows is in there for you. Um, currently, I'm working on my next book, which is My Manifesto as a marketer. It's called New Customer Machine. Um, should be out early next year. We're going to start a podcast called New Customer Machine. Um, so that's what's coming for me. Uh, what's the Twitter, man? What's uh, anybody? Uh, how can they find you on Twitter? Did I miss it? All Jeremy Pound. All Jeremy yeah. Pound, man. Find and that's actually the word Pound spelled out, not a hashtag or not for you '80s and '90s babies. Hashtag Jeremy Pound. Maybe I should start the hashtag Jeremy Pound thing. You know, you, or I think you should. Hashtag Jeremy hashtag. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> Amen. Because they don't get it. They call it. And it starts in the you know. Uh, Dude, I, I, you know, I'm gonna end it on that one, brother, because you really dropped a good cognitive rampage on yeah. that last one. So, uh, dude, I, I can't thank you enough, man, for driving up from down south with one. And I, much love to you, man. Yeah, glad to be here. Uh, I appreciate doing it. it. You do it again with me? Anytime. Oh, it's been fun, man. Any shout out? Hey, Becca, thanks for hanging out with us. My Sitting there chilling. <laughs> Steve Stone, as always, couldn't do without you. Yeah, and you could, just wouldn't be as good. I would agree. My wife too. I love you. Thank you for walking in. You're welcome. Hey, man, I, I enjoy talking to you, man. You dropped some gems out here for those people that are listening, man. If if you're sitting there trying to build your own idea, your business, you know, listen to the man here. He lost it all twice, uh, became obsolete twice, and you keep pushing. And if you listen to the attitude and you listen to how he take he took on adversity and found creative ways to make that prosper, something positive in your life, I mean, you can do it, man. Take the idea. There is no real safe job, is there? Not anymore. No real safe job. You might as well do what the fuck you love. Bet on yourself. I'm going to end it there, man. Thanks, brother. Hey, I want you to check out uh, another podcast that I listen to uh, with two friends of mine. Uh, that's my buddy Chris Fisher and his friend Jesse Cage in the FNK podcast. You can catch them at um, fisherandcage.com, but uh, look them up on iTunes. They're a great podcast. I love listening to the fellas each week, but that's the FNK podcast. We're sponsored today by Counseling and Psychological Services of Central Florida. That's cpscfl.com. It's a private counseling practice backed by Dr. Parker Mott, uh, a psychologist who offers comprehensive services, individual counseling, children, couples, family, depression, grief, the list goes on and on. Anything in the mental health realm that you could be dealing with, Counseling and Psychological Services of Central Florida can meet those needs for you. You can find them at cpscfl.com. They're at 310 Dillard Street, Suite 190 in Winter Garden, Florida. You can reach the office directly at 407-347-0661. That's Counseling and Psychological Services of Central Florida, cpscfl.com, providing high-quality therapeutic services in a professional and comfortable setting.